Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Asia chapter of the Asian American Journalists Association. I'm Dexter. And I'm Neha. And this is the second episode in our podcast series leading up to the 11th annual New Now Next Conference to be held from the 2nd to 8th of August. This year's theme is reimagining news as countries look to reopen and we look to reconnect. This year's New Now Next N3Con is virtual, just as last year's, and you can find out more about it on n3con.com. Today, we have a guest who will be telling us about her transition from journalism to academia and how she is navigating the digital landscape today. Asia Director of One IFRA, Lao Juni. Juni, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Juni Lau, and um, I'm director of uh, Asia for One IFRA, the World Association of News Publishers. Uh, this is an industry association that's uh, global. It started in 1948 in Europe, uh, and uh, it has regional offices all over in Asia, South Asia, Middle East, Latin America, uh, and uh, of course uh, in Europe as well, where it's uh, headquartered. So my career really sort of spans back uh, to the mid-90s when I started out as a reporter for then uh, Singapore Broadcasting Corporation. Now, some of you may not even sort of recognize that name, but uh, it was the successor to the radio television Singapore, uh, and it went through several incarnations into Singapore Broadcasting Corporation and then Television Corporation of Singapore before it became uh, Mediacorp as we all know it today. So from there, then I moved into academia for about seven years at the Nanyang Technological University uh, and then joined Awanifra, the World Association of News Publishers. So Juni, tell us about what motivated you to make the career transition from journalism to academia. Well, when you've spent 15 years in broadcast, uh, it is, of course, a, a great career. It's so exciting. There's so much to do. Uh, I count myself very fortunate because during those 15 years, I started out as a field reporter, covering stories that I, I really enjoyed. I was uh, fortunate to be able to cover a lot of stories uh, at the intersection of law and technology. I actually uh, took a law degree. I graduated and trained as a lawyer. I got called to the bar. Um, by then, I, I sort of realized that, uh, you know, journalism was my calling. I had already done all my internships at the judiciary, uh, at a law firm. Uh, I'd also done internships in broadcast. I was the first uh, intern, actually, at the Singapore Broadcasting Corporation, which was a bit of a surprise. I actually asked for an internship and they said, oh, we've never had an intern before. So I said, would you take me? And then they considered it and they you know, at the end, he said, sure, okay. Uh, so I was a bit of a novelty back then. After my A-levels, I, I applied uh, to be this intern that they never had. <laughs> and uh, and then I spent five uh, really impactful months. You know, I think uh, those really helped shape, uh, shape my career choices later on. That's great. I think maybe a follow-up question would be, in what ways do you find the professions, these two professions, to be similar or different from each other? Well, after 15 years, I think I started as a field reporter and then it was really at the start uh, of the growth of the internet at that point in time. So uh, I was literally one of the few people in the newsroom who even had access to the internet or had even used it. Can you imagine? <laughs> this was the days when uh, Mozilla, the browser, <laughs> was just starting up. And, uh, you know, the, so there was a lot of interesting developments in technology. Uh, there were a lot of la what we call lacunae in the law because you know, the law had not caught up with technology at that point in time. So very exciting, lots of uh, story fodder. Um, I created a lot of scoops uh, because of that. I, I reported on the first cyber cafes in Singapore. Can you imagine? 
it's it's sort of a way of life these days. But back then, it was an incredible novelty to have even the first cyber cafe in Singapore. So from from there on, um, Channel News Asia was formed, uh, and you know the idea of the new channel came up. Uh, then they were looking for volunteers to start the website. Now nobody had built a news website in Singapore at that point, so I raised my hand, uh, and and we had um, two three other colleagues, you know, who also came forth to to start the website. It was a very exciting time. Uh, we had no idea what we were doing, but we knew we were on, onto something really big. So we created this website called ChannelNewsAsia.com. It is what it is today. It's it's a fantastic site. Uh, you know, it's it's the most read site in in Singapore uh, for news and information. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, from there on. Uh, after I set it up, I applied for a MediaCorp fellowship to do my master's, which I did. Uh, I got a fellowship and we, I went to Columbia University to the Graduate School of Journalism there for a year. Did my master's. I came back. I did another year at the website. And then I, I kind of realized I hadn't done long-form television, which I really wanted to do. So then I, I asked for a transfer to Current Affairs, uh, which I got. Uh, I spent three years at Current Affairs, and then after that, I was invited back to the newsroom to say well, we need help at the. They needed help to produce the news uh, hourly news broadcasts. So I was there for about a year, and then the international desk called and said, "Oh, we need someone, uh, you know, at the international desk to help coordinate the coverage." So I went to the international desk, uh, which was great because I worked with all the international correspondents. Uh, and then whenever there was there were stories that were happening in countries where we did not have correspondence, then I got sent out because I had the field experience. I could do that. I could report. Uh, I would go out and, and produce those stories. After, I think, a couple of years at the international desk, I moved to the Singapore desk. So I came one full circle uh, in about 15 years back to the inter international desk, uh, back to the, to the local desk as a editor. So after that, then I said, okay, I've kind of gone around the shop. Um... There's a lot of experience here that I would love, you know, to to share and and teach. So I I asked a friend of mine at the university and said, you know, are there any vacancies to teach? And and he said, yes, we would love to have you. So I moved over to the, the Nanyang Technological University, and you know, you'd be surprised, but my first assignment was please build our newsroom. <laughs> so you move from a newsroom to. Building to, another, a to building a newsroom, <laughs> <laughs> which was a great experience actually, because uh, in at Channel News Asia we had got undergone several transitions in terms of equipment from analog to digital. We had uh, done gone through a huge uh, change from a very sort of antiquated, uh, you know, newsroom content management system to a to a much more um, advanced one and this was just for the stories so we went to ENPS which is the electronic news gathering system the system that was used uh, by the BBC um, easy to use easy, um, but of course the transition to a new interface a new way of working don't forget uh, MediaCorp has four language newsrooms to support mm. so workflows have to be set up and, uh, you know, it's, it's a whole new way of working. How do you name your tapes? In the old days, we had literally analog tapes that we had to run from, you know, edit room to broadcast suite and, and so on. So how do you turn all that into a digital workflow? That was like the really the big challenge that confronted us. It was a very exciting time because, you know, you're creating a new operation altogether. 
Uh, and then subsequently, we had a digital asset management system as well to work with. So that had to plug into the CMS, the content management system. Uh, that was also another very exciting time and transition. So all these sort of skills, um, then when I say, okay, set up a newsroom in the university, I said, okay, um, no problem. <laughs> Been there, done that. Uh, and we had the challenge, of course, of uh, taking the school paper and say, okay, how would we like now to, and I had to sit down with the students and say, okay, what do you see in the future? Where we have a newspaper which we're doing very you know well in, uh, but how do you want to take this product digital? Well, that's great. I think, yeah, I think moving from one newsroom to the other, I think you you almost are in maybe a different environment, but still facing you know the similar workflow processes, and that's great. Maybe you could share with us a little bit about how. You know, do you think reporting has has changed or how do you think it's changed with landscape shifts into technology and new media? And, you know, did you ever see this, any of these changes um, being filtered into your teaching experience? Um, of course. <laughs> so one uh, part, huge partner uh, and collaborator with us uh, for, to construct the newsroom was uh, One Ifra, the World Association of News Publishers, where I work now. Uh, so they had come up with a concept of Newsplex about 10 years before, and this was something that was uh, launched in the United States uh, in partnership with another university called the University of uh, South Carolina. So uh, from there, uh, this was in the days when print was still dominant. And, you know, the founder, a, a gentleman called Ker Dr. Uh, Professor Kerry Nothrop, he you know, was saying there would be some day when newspapers will do video, and he was laughed at. <laughs> Can you imagine how visionary it, it he was, you know, back then? And this was you're talking about the two thousands, you know, so two thousand two thousand yeah, early two thousands or even late nineteen nineties where he said this. And he um had the support, he built a newsroom called Newsplex, uh, where it was actually designed to be um multimedia cross-platform a space where everyone could come together on different platforms and work in the same space even that it just seems so sensible and normal these days but back then everybody had their separate newsroom so you had a print newsroom you had a radio newsroom <laughs> and, uh, okay an online newsroom if you if you had one a digital one and of course a television or a video newsrooms as well and, and these would be sometimes in different corners of the building or in different campuses all together and they just didn't talk so, so Kerry came up with this really sort of groundbreaking concept at, at back at that time, uh, and and spent quite a good deal of time taking this idea around the world, coming up with different models of uh, and and Wanifra took this idea as well, ran with it, uh, pooling and there were consultants and and other uh, thought leaders that came on board with the idea, coming up with different models of how would you manage such an operation. Now, this idea slowly, of course, caught on. And as you know, with technology, and it's very easy to say now with the, with the benefit of hindsight, it was the right thing to do. <laughs> you know, But it took many, many years for, for this idea to catch on. So they, they were planning newsplexes. Uh, they were hoping to set up newsplexes around the world. Asia was one place where they, they were very keen on and, and they found a partner in the university. So we had a chair, uh, Dr. Benjamin, that Professor Benjamin Dettenberg was very supportive of the idea. He, um, you know, thanks to him, it, it really uh, became possible to make this vision a reality. So we took this idea of the concept, we worked closely with Bonifra to then say, okay, these are the learnings and these are the, uh, these are the possible models. And then I took this back to the faculty because we had different faculty teaching print, uh, digital, 
um, video and radio and we sat down and we assessed all our needs and okay how would we work in the same space and I think the the students at the end of the day they loved this space so much you know they it's a collaborative space the furniture is modular there are corners with equipment there's a mini studio which is connected to the main broadcast studio we can do live crosses uh, it was also connected to the radio conti so the uh, the, the folks in radio could actually produce news in a newsroom, but also then supply it to the radio uh, studio on campus, which was actually located at a canteen uh, some distance away. So, you know, all these sort of integrations were very well thought through. We had an industry-grade uh, content management system in the form of um, ATEX, uh, which brought in their uh, content management system. So it was a professionally great, professional-grade um, operation. That's amazing. Wow. You can just imagine, yeah, all separate groups, but, but coming together and it set this, set the stage, I guess, for digital media and, um, those workflows happening. Absolutely. And, and all the learnings from the various one of our conferences, which our faculty colleagues also had access to, all these uh, flow back and inform our curriculum development as well. So the courses that we offer, uh, in the, in the school were, you know, in line with all these industry trends and developments going on. So just like, you know, journalism outside of the classroom is dynamic, it's it's not static as what some people might think it is. Absolutely. So you know, even though we're, we're teaching, you know, journalism skills, we're teaching video skills, how to put a good radio program together, but at the same time, uh, against a backdrop of all these changes and knowing and hearing these about these changes directly from the industry players themselves at these various conferences around the world, uh, all that really helped to inform and, and evolve the curriculum as well. And have students evolved as well? Uh, absolutely. I think the, the great thing about being in a university, you are there and you're encouraged to experiment and innovate. Uh, since then, uh, you know, the, the, the School of Communication and Information at NTU has uh, come up with, you know, courses, modules like the News Lab, which is uh, something which I get invited to as well to judge. Uh, and uh, I always enjoy the opportunity to come and uh, see what projects the students are up to. So, of course, now they are doing, you know, apps and coming up with, in fact, they, they have real life clients because uh, the uh, my former colleague who runs that, that news lab, you know, she pulls in industry players as well. And they are the clients of the students. So the students are given a real world problem to solve. And then, okay, here's the challenge, you know, solve it for us. And then they come up with the most amazing <laughs> proof of concepts. So what's the most interesting or enjoyable, you know, experience teaching you had? I think it was the international, um, the opportunity to bring students around the world. Uh, so we had a course, uh, which of course currently in COVID um, you know, does not allow them to travel. However, uh, I brought students to South Thailand. I brought students to uh, Timor-Leste. Um, our students have gone, the first year I joined, uh, they were they, they were going to Bangladesh. I was expecting my, my second child then, so it wasn't a good time to travel. Uh, so, so, you know, I was part of the, that uh, class. Um, I coached them and then prepared them to go to Bangladesh, where they came back with some really compelling stories about the Rohingya refugees. And this was 22009, mind you, where they were going into the camps uh, in Bangladesh uh, to, to interview and do stories about the Rohingya refugees. Uh, and then in Timor-Leste, uh, our trip to Timor-Leste wasn't planned as such, uh, but it coincided with uh, the first Singapore minister's visit to Timor-Leste, and that was uh, Minister George Yeo. 
So he was a foreign minister at that time. So the students had a real life experience of covering a ministerial visit and quickly filing it on deadline because previously they would work on their stories and have maybe a couple of weeks to do that, gather news, um, brainstorm, review, critique, and, and so on. And then uh, they would come back to Singapore and finish up their stories. But here they had a ministerial visit to cover. They had to file for the next day. They had to send off their lines to, you know, Straits Times, you know, New Paper, Channel News Asia, and so on. So they were really on a hard deadline. Um, students uh, in South Thailand, we covered uh, the, I think it was the 10th year anniversary of uh, the tsunami. So, um, you know, Kaulak. Uh, we went to Kaulak, which was the most heavily devastated town um uh, by the tsunami in, in South Thailand. So, again, you know, th those stories of the implications, social and you know, economic implications years on after the tsunami were, were quite incredible. And then subsequently, I was invited to lead a small group of NTU students to China. And that started off a series of visits to uh, cities in China that, uh, you know, where the students were challenged to make 10-minute video documentaries in 17 days, <laughs> oh. which again, <laughs> so, so you know, having to supervise their documentaries um, in places where they were just out of their comfort zones, you know, Changsha, uh, which is in Hunan province, uh, Lanzhou, which is in Gansu province, uh, in Sichuan province, uh, the students were not in Cheng Chengdu, it's, it's a very developed city in, in Sichuan. We were based in Sichuan, but we, uh, in Chengdu, but we were actually filming in Kangting, which is like a nine hour trip near the Tibet, in the Tibetan autonomous region, uh, where even the Chinese students who were accompanying us were out of their league because they didn't speak the language. They were not from the same culture. Um, it was a new experience for everyone. So, so experiences like that were just, you know, unbelievable because the students have never been in any kind of condition like that before coming back into then uh, to Chengdu to finish up their to video edit and to, and to write their scripts and uh, finish their products um, in Lanzhou the our student one of our students there uh, won the first prize actually out of all the entries the hundred entries that uh, were part of this annual project so that there'll be a hundred students from around the world invited uh, to take part in this um, uh, this, this program, uh, she got the first prize <laughs> for her lancho lamian, which is uh, lancho beef noodles. So, so she did very well. And the students out of this program have also done very well. They've gone on to to win other awards as well for their work out of these trips. So, how is you know media professional Juni different from Professor Juni? <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, as a pro as, as a professor, as a teacher of, of journalism, um, you do spend a lot more time to, of course, uh, guide and coach uh, students. Uh, students are, are great. It's, it's you know, I, I feed off the energy as well of students. Um, it's so full of ideas. There's a lot happening. I think I, I learn as much as I, I teach as well in equal proportions mm. because it's always uh, technology is always changing and it is a constant uh, it's not a, a one person show anymore in the old days of, of maybe print you kind of you know retired to a corner somewhere and you, you wrote your piece and then you sent it in uh, I come from a background of being in broadcast where it's very much a team effort all the way everybody the cameraman the soundman the video editor I'm the producer I'm the producer and the director maybe I sometimes I may be even presenting the the story as well. 
So it's, it is a huge team effort. And I take all that with me as I go, you know, as I collaborate and I work with students uh, as well. I'm there as a guide. I may know a few tips and tricks and, you know, workflows and perhaps shortcuts to get their work out. Um, I'm there when they're all like, you know, tearing their hair out, you know, at 4 a.m. in the morning, tr- trying to decide what to do. I'm tr- there to say, hey, you're on a clock. You need to, to drop this now. You need to move on. Um, you know, here's, you've got good stuff. <laughs> you know, you just need to know how to put it together and the sanity check for them as well when, when sometimes they, they're just, you know, reviewing all their footage over and over again. They don't know where to go. Um, but equally, I'm, I'm just amazed by their creativity and, and the ideas that they bring to the table, the stories that they have found. Um, there have been students who have gone to China or actually they've, before they go to China, they're, they're researching a story. They may have a story in mind. When they get there, the reality is very different from the expectation. They have to drop the story because maybe they can't find the people you know they read about something and they just can't find you know that person or that phenomenon that they wanted to cover and then they have to then again you know pivot to something new uh and that sort of flexibility and what they've come up with at short notice sometimes really surprises me as well so can you tell us about some of the challenges and constraints you faced um in this transition transition to to academia i don't think it was much of a challenge really it's more of an extension and an evolution because uh of course in a busy newsroom there's so much going on there's the day-to-day um this the main objective of the day really the core business is to get the news out quickly uh, and there's very little room for any error or any slip-ups so it's constantly you're like you know 150 percent uh, just getting news out that's accurate, that's fast, uh, serves the needs of the readers. Um, in the university, you have a bit more space to explore and, of course, encourage students. And, of course, students are not professionals. They do not work as quickly. So I always say things are done on student time because you have 13 <laughs> weeks of your semester to kind of get from A to yeah. Z. And then, uh, and you can, and you're allowed to, uh, you know, it's perfectly acceptable if you make some mistakes along the way. Um, there is a cushion, you know, you can always fall back. And that's where you take this opportunity to really experiment, test your ideas. If they don't work, it's fine. You know, you just learn from those mistakes because there's so much that you can, in fact, you probably learn more from your mistakes than you learn from your professors telling you this is the answer. And so sometimes these things are really a process of discovery. And and I, honestly, in this day and age, uh, where all the rules have been dismantled and they, they have just broken down, uh, journalists, young journalists these days are actually in the position to rewrite and write new rules. So so I hope you know people take this opportunity to create a new world and a new form, a new formats of journalism, new genres as well. And we're actually seeing these emerge. Um, so many. Uh, years ago, when we first when I first started out, you would never have the present uh, the the newscaster or the actually you wouldn't never have the reporter the field reporter standing in front of um, appearing at the start of a news story because the journalist it was believed it was never the story it is not about the journalist it is about what's happening out there the journalist is just there to tell the story but these days it's very common you have the journalist standing right at the top of the story saying oh here i am at at this live event and this is what's happening you know let's take a look so even you know in terms of presentation styles these styles have changed a lot with the uh, technology as well and it's really interesting to see how uh, things are evolving on that note would you have any advice for aspiring journalists that are preparing for the new media industry? 
I would say seize the opportunity, you know, go with it. You are, this is your time um, and you are all digital natives. So it's, it's about addressing audience needs. It's about putting audience first. What does the audience want to see, to hear, to read? Challenge your audience, surprise your audience. There are so many platforms out there now where you can actually exercise your creativity and your sense of innovation. Uh, you do not have to stick to you know, those tried and tested formats. I mean, there's a lot to learn, of course. I mean, obviously, uh, newsroom routines and practices that we have in journalism have evolved over decades. Uh, you could parachute into any print newsroom, really, you know, and sort of understand how it works because it, it is quite, those workflows are very similar and structures are very similar. With digital, everything has been flattened. It is a lot faster um, and shorter, perhaps, because attention spans are shorter as well. Uh, if you're doing long form, yes, perhaps there there are other ways of doing long form. You have you know you have your huge multimedia features, which of course take a lot of time and effort, and also collaboration with uh, folks in in technology. So whether you have you know programmers, you have um, developers, you have app developers, you have data visualization experts, and so on. There's a lot more scope for collaboration these days. It is a very exciting time, but it's also a very complicated time because it means that. You are no longer in, in control of that project. It is a, a group project and therefore uh, you have to work across departments. So there are these new roles now in the industry called bridging roles, which sort of connect um, these various departments together. Uh, and like I said, it's, it is an interesting time, but it's, it's also a very uh, challenging time because um, in the past, newsrooms were just not used to, to working so collaboratively and, and now you have to. And on the other hand, what advice would you give to media professionals who are looking to go the other way into academia? I think there comes a time where, where everyone who's been in the industry for a while, you know, says, I, I would like to share what I know. I've, I've already gained so much. Uh, and it's, it is a form of uh, giving back and it is a form of paying it forward as well. So quite a few people actually say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to teach, whether it's uh, part-time or whether it's full-time. Uh, even in academia, there's, it's, it's never static. There's so much technology involved these days. There's, uh, as you all know, e-learning, you know, so I was on the, one of the committees for e-learning, uh, at the School of Communication where I was. Uh, and I was the representative, so I attended a lot of meetings and, uh, you know, the university was doing these amazing things with e-learning as well. Of course, um, change is always difficult. Um, just like in the newsroom as well. You know, it's um, there's nothing like the face-to-face -face experience, obviously. But uh, it, well, we all know very, you know, now very well from from COVID and all that, recorded lectures, um, face to uh, Zoom sessions, and so on are have become almost the norm during this pandemic. So, in a way, all those um, uh, meetings and <laughs> initiatives and programs that we had, you know, e-learn schools, a lot of schools have e-learning weeks, for example. All those actually help prepare for you know time like this in the pandemic. Uh, so in that sense, yes, those moving into academia need to be prepared. That there is academia has changed a lot. It's not the sort of the ivory tower research kind of place that you don't know, you get left alone for six months and you can do your thing. Um, there's also a lot of collaboration within the university. There's a lot of encouragement to go across departments and across schools and collaborate with professors from other departments. We were looking at a phenomenon called social TV at one point where, uh, 
there was a professor in a, in a school of engineering that had developed a social TV interface. So now he had the technology, but he didn't have the content. So that's why I said, I have students who, who can give you that content. So we, you know, we worked together for a while. We explored a few things. We said, okay, I used it as a class, a, a live class challenge and assignment for them. So, okay, there's this technology. Here's what it looks like. Now go create content for this interface. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, what did the social TV look like? Well, it's it's um it's a, a television interface. So so mind you, this is like maybe ten years ago. Okay. So it's a, it's, a, it's a television interface with uh, social comments and you know where you can actually comment on the content that's going on on the on the screen. Yeah, and and people can interact with each other. Mm-hmm. So he actually created like um uh, yeah an API that could sort of interface with. Like an early live stream. Broadcast. Yeah, kind of like what you see these days. You know, you might be at a, um, you might be at a competition or you might be watching a sport and then you have, you know, comments coming in. And so let's take a look now at what's happening on, say, Twitter, for example. Um, yeah, but back then it was all very new. <laughs> it may seem very normal to you these days. <laughs> but, you know, experimentation like that is, is it's really exciting and um, you never know, right, What when an idea will, will stick. Yeah, just like when you said, you know, um, video news and now, and he was laughed at and now everything's on Zoom. <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> yeah, streaming, you know, streaming is just totally change the way we consume content. Now it's everything is on demand and what the audience... So I go back to audiences first because what do audiences want uh, is more important now than, than ever. Actually, yes. Um, on that note, I, I just want to bring us back a little bit to, to being in the newsroom and experimenting and learning, I guess, you know, having that space to make mistakes. Would you have any suggestions or or advice for students in to allow them to continue to be curious and you know want to push the envelope because sometimes it can be hard especially when you know you're you're faced with getting into a new industry what kind of buttons you can push and you know what maybe you should hold back on would you have any thoughts on that i i wouldn't encourage you to hold back <laughs> as, as a student this is your job to to go push the boundaries to experiment to try uh discover uh and, you know, equally in, in a newsroom these days, everybody brings something to the table. So, you know, the veteran journalists bring all their years of experience. They know how to anticipate issues and preempt them and to avoid, you know, falling into, into potholes. Uh, but the young journalists who come into the newsroom as well come in with such a different and fresh perspective of things. Uh, and don't forget, the, uh, any newsroom needs an audience. So you are constantly having to, you're challenged to constantly address the needs of your audience because otherwise you would be relevant to the audience. Uh, and everybody's growing. So, so in, in the, there was a time we would say, oh, how do you manage millennials, for example? <laughs> but you know, guess what? The millennials have grown up and they are now the, the leaders in their teams or in their newsrooms. So, you know, now we're looking at the Gen Zs. Now, how are Gen Zs consuming content differently from millennials. It is very different. So we are constantly on this, um, in a way I call it a hamster wheel, because you're constantly trying to keep up with the changing dynamics of your audience and the habits 
Uh, and it's no longer like, oh, you know, here's print. And like I said just now, you could you parachute into a news print newsroom and you know what's going on because it hasn't changed much for like 50 years. But, you know, these days with digital operations, it's so fluid and we are constantly challenged by the proliferation of platforms as well. What do you support? Where do you invest your resources in? How many people do you put on this platform versus you know, another platform, for example. I mean, I know large media companies which are supporting like half a dozen or maybe, sorry, a dozen (laughs) social media platforms. Do you put one person? Do you put, you know, two people on each platform? What do you do? You know, how do you operate a 24-7 news operation? These are questions that newsrooms 20 years ago didn't have to to answer. Mm. They didn't have to address them. Uh, but it is such a challenge these days. And, and of course, getting a job these days is in journalism is, is not just about, say, I want to write a story, but there are also many other opportunities if, if you look. So to a young person coming into the industry, look at where the opportunities lie. They may not be entirely obvious. Uh, it helps to get to know people in the industry. So if um, there are people that you can reach out to uh, that you know work in these media companies, get to know them ask them questions because you will learn from every time, from every encounter that, that you have with um, a senior editor in a, in a newsroom um, and, and talk to them and find out where are these niches. And sometimes these, these roles have not been created yet because they are, everything is moving so quickly and the newsrooms themselves sometimes can't even create roles fast enough. They, they kind of just add it on to an existing role. You know? But then after that, you find that, for example, social media, um, moderation or community you know, now it's called community manager for example you're managing a community on social media this role didn't exist 10 years ago <laughs> you know and now it is essential because so much news goes out on on social as well uh, instagram for example you know tiktok that's kind of like the next thing that, that newsrooms are now sort of challenged to figure out like do we want to support tiktok and if so what in what way? Because the storytelling on TikTok is very different from Facebook. It's very different from IG. It's different from LinkedIn. <laughs> it's very true. Yeah. Yeah. So I think maybe if we can, if we can fast forward to you know to your current role, um, how do you see your current role um, comparing to your past experiences in academia? I see it as an evolution as well, because in back then in, in academia, uh, it was about, you know, grooming students, uh, of course, helping them find jobs, training them for, to be uh, workplace and industry ready. Um, currently in my role as Director Asia at One IFRA, the World Association of News Publishers, uh, I take that a step further because we are looking now at the, the needs of industry professionals. What do newsrooms, what do news companies need and where are the gaps? Uh, where do they need more training in? Um, I speak to a lot of news publishers around the region. Uh, I'm constantly getting feedback from them. I look at the trends. I look at the trends overseas as well. Uh, so I'm constantly, you know, joining the dots, connecting people, uh, looking industry, uh, industry trend spotting. Uh, these are skills which I actually picked up in the mid '90s as a technology journalist which again are sort of serving me very well today uh, as a trend spotter because my editor would always say, do a trend story. I was like, sure. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Where is the technology going? Where did it come from? How is it evolving? What is it like today? And where is it going next? Uh, and these questions are constantly on my mind as in, in everything I do because at the end of the day, you don't just plan for the now, but you also plan for tomorrow. 
uh, and the future. And you so everything has to be scalable in that sense. So I, I used to tell my students, um, I will teach you for a job in, for example, if it's broadcast journalism, I'll teach you for a job that will, will get you a, um, I'll teach you for this job and it will get you a place in a, a broadcast newsroom. But I am guarantee you that most of you here will not be in a, in a TV or a broadcast job in five years. You will probably, you know, get jobs in, in some other area. However, the skills that you learned now uh, will put you in good stead for those new jobs that, that probably haven't even been created yet. So that's the, the, the challenge that we have uh, in you know, teaching and preparing young journalists for careers of tomorrow. That's great. Yeah, just to, I'm just envisioning, you know, being in, in your class and, and being told that, you know, I, I have what it takes and, and all I need to do is, is trust that my skills will carry me forward. And I think that's a great um, mindset to have when you're first starting out, you know, to, to be optimistic about what you can do. It is a very exciting time. You know, it is also a very difficult time because there are no set rules and roles. So sometimes you may need to create the role yourself. You may have to sit back and say, okay, what is it I'm good at? And then, you know, carve that out for yourself. Whether it's in a big organization, I've had also students who have gone down, they have become self-employed because they do such a great job of being a photographer, a videographer, of being a content creator, that they have, um, even at, at sort of a relatively young age, said, I'm going to just start my own business. And they have, you know, so our grandfather stories, for example, you know, um, they're they're a great example of a group of fine storytellers who have gone on to create a business around it. And if there's one piece of advice um, for students um, of journalism, what would you give? If you could only impart one piece of advice. Keep an open mind, be flexible, be ready to evolve, uh, be creative, uh, and, you know, don't be afraid to try. All right, let's fast forward all the way to today. <laughs> and can you tell us if there's anything exciting you're currently working on at the moment? Well, uh, the big thing right now I'm, I'm working on is, is Digital Media Asia. And this is the sort of the big gathering focal point for the Asian uh, news publishing industry. Uh, we talk a lot about digital revenues because that's you know what digital media is about. Uh, this is a it's an existentialist question really facing uh, the news industry. It has been confronting the news industry for for you know a good ten years now. Uh, as you know, you know print circulation is is falling. Uh, digital, of course, revenues are growing. How do you tap these digital revenues in what shape or form? It's not just about advertising anymore, as as you all very well know. Um, maybe uh, we can say that COVID, if any, if any sort of silver lining has come out of the COVID pandemic, it's, it has accelerated the interest in reader revenue models, getting readers to pay for the news content. Uh, in the past, we've been very spoilt. Um, no industry I know of um, gives away its its product for free for twenty years. You know, mm -hmm. we've kind of been doing that because we've been sort of cross-subsidized by by advertising. Uh, that that model is, is severely broken these days. Uh, there is, of course, a huge digital advertising ecosystem out there. It is a very different creature from traditional media advertising. Uh, it requires a new set of skills, a new set of technology, and so on. While that is happening, um, perhaps it's time to start 
you know, charging as much as we as consumers don't like the idea who wants to pay, right, for, for anything really. But somebody has to pay for quality news. You pay for your, net, your Netflix, you pay for your Spotify, you pay for your sports uh, feeds, you pay for a lot of stuff. All your apps on mobile uh, are paid, you know, really. And uh, if, if they're not paid, then they're cross-subsidized by, say, advertising. So, so there needs to be a new value um, proposition. There needs to be um, a new way of, of saying, how do we pay our newsrooms? And uh, so Digital Media Asia is about that. Uh, we have uh, one full day of digital subscriptions, uh, conversations, speakers, case studies, profiles. We have another day on data and analytics because you can't survive these days without put, you know, having data to inform your decisions, whether they're editorial decisions, whether they're business decisions, whether they're product, new product decisions. Do I launch a new product? Is there a need for this product? Is there an audience for it? You know, uh, How much do I charge for it? And then how do I retain, once I have my subscribers, how do I retain my subscribers? All these have to be data-informed. So we have one full day on data and analytics. And there's another day on alternative revenue streams. Uh, news organizations are not just doing news anymore. Some of them are doing um, events. Some are doing um, they're publishing books. Some are doing um, affiliate marketing. You know, So there's native advertising. There are many forms of alternative revenue streams that uh, news organizations are also exploring. So we'll, we'll have a look at that. Uh, and then there's also a day of digital advertising. So that's kind of like the big thing I'm I'm working on now. So <laughs> if people would like to uh, attend, yeah, just hit me up and um, happy to, to yeah, send you more details. And that's a nice way to close the loop as well because we were just talking about how students have to anticipate for the tomorrow and this is, you know, one of the insights into tomorrow. Exactly, so. exactly. So we'll, we we bring case studies from around the world, from around the region, the exciting projects and exciting new sort of experiment, experiments that are going on now in different news companies and, and you'll be surprised uh, at, at the creativity and innovation that's taking place out there. Okay, thank you so much for joining us today, Juni. You're welcome. Many thanks to Juni for joining us today. And we hope you join us for N3Con, the AAJA Asia Annual Conference, starting from the 2nd of August. Once again, I'm Neha. And I'm Dexter. We hope to see you there.